Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. All right, good morning, church. Our reading today is Psalm 12. You can find that on page 452 in the Bible, in the seat back in front of you. So as you turn there, just let me introduce myself if I haven't met you. Uh, My name is Keith Johnson. I am married to Holly for 26 years, and we have three 20-something kids, Jake, Sam, and Caroline. We've been covenant members here at the church for almost 11 years, and I have served most of that time as a non-staff elder. And so it's just a privilege to be one of your elder pastors along with the other six Uh, godly elders that love you and love this church and are constantly praying for you. So, again, we are in Psalm 12, page 452. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut out all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is God's word. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you that we can gather here today to, uh, to hear your word. Lord, I pray that we have ears to hear and hearts to be changed by the power of your word. I just pray today that you would communicate clearly through Pastor Scott what each one of us needs to hear uh, so that you might be glorified through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, KJ. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor on the preaching team. Super grateful to be here with you this morning. We are in poems of praise, and as you read, we're in Psalm chapter 12. And so um, we're having a a time during the summer of just family discipleship. And so uh, we're inviting the second graders through fifth grade into the gathering, and that's purposeful. Uh, It's purposeful in that they they need to hear the word of God, but also see you parents worship uh, the Lord in spirit and truth. And so take this opportunity to uh, disciple your family, uh, sing of the Lord, have conversations about the word during this time. So we're also doing this for rest for our volunteers. Our volunteers work tirelessly to disciple those kids and TC kids on the fall. We're launching full full back for kids. And so uh, resting for those current volunteers and recruitment. So if you aren't 
uh, serving in kids and you have a kid, and my first plea is to you, that would you consider it? It's, it's, um, it's not that much, but man, it has eternal impact. And I guarantee you will grow in Christ as you disciple others. That's what God calls us to do. And so uh, why don't you be praying about that? And you will certainly be asked as you drop off your kids or you walking with kids coming into uh, the church. And so you may, well, that, that may be offensive. Just so you know, if you come here, uh, we want to be a battleship, not, not a cruise ship. So we're not here just to serve you. We want to call you into mission uh, to, to serve Christ. So uh, just know that's coming. Um, Psalm 12, the sermon title this morning is uh, The Pure Words, The Pure Words, and if I have a tagline for that, it's uh, really the, the pure, the, the only pure one, which is, we'll get to Christ. So uh, I've been struggling with this text. I'm just laying out there. I've been, I've been reading Psalm 12 and just wrestling with it and like h- how to preach it, how to explain it. And um, the way that I want to start is, is we're going to sing a song. Uh, I think it's the second song after I get done preaching. And um, it has these lines that I'm desperate for you. There's a desperation uh, to, to know God. As, as we sing that, I'm just praying uh, the Spirit of God would give you a heart of desperation this morning. Uh, it says in, in that song, you are the air that I breathe. It says that I'm lost without you. Um, the idea of that song is that you come to the end of yourself, which is we hate. We love to be per- persevering in self, strong in self. With this, the cry of Christianity, the cry of that song is, God, I'm desperate for you. Um, I, I need you more than I need breath in my lungs. And so the question I have before we get in there into the text is, what are some times in your life where you've actually come to the end of yourself and like, I'm desperate for God. I want you to maybe play that in your head. Where have I been so desperate for God because I just feel so lost in the world that I'm living in that I'm just crying out for help. And I'm going to say that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I wrote down a few uh, where I've been there. When I've had some financial hardships, I'm like, I don't know, uh, when Marcia and I first got married, how, how I'm going to get Christmas presents for my kids. When Marcia and I first got married, I was like, God, please help. I, I don't know. I'd like to provide for my kids. And it makes me terrible. I was like, God, I need you to provide. And he did. But I was desperate to show my kids that blessing uh, early on. Maybe you've been there for paying rent or something else. Maybe... <clears throat> It's battling sickness. I asked someone, um, as I was preparing, it's like, when's the most desperate you've been? It's like, when, when I got diagnosed with cancer. I remember that, too. I remember my dad got diagnosed with cancer. I was desperate for God. God, do something. It also helped me understand this is not the world I want to live in forever. For a while, I think I do. But as you get sick or you have loved ones that get sick, it's like, nah, this is not my home. I'm grateful, but this is not... This is not eternal. Um, maybe it's a sickness that you may be cried out. Um, another one that I feel a lot is uh, when, when I see the depths of my sinfulness. Unfortunately, <laughs> you have to live with you, and I have to live with me. And when I look into my own heart and the lack of integrity that I find in my life sometimes, it, 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 it's frustrating. And um, it makes me cry out, for, for God, God, I'm so desperate for you. Why am I the way that I am? Why, why do I not say the things that I want to say? Why do I not do the things that I want to do? God, God, help, God help me. Uh, to throw maybe a little bit lighter um, aspect of this, we had our students come back for beach retreat, and we were just saying we are desperate for that bus not to break down. So if you were on 
Beach retreat, you know what that means. It, it, was, a, it was a handful uh, getting those students back and forth, and we had some bus issues, but we were desperate for that, that bus to come home for the safety of the kids and for the, the, the concerned parents. Um, that, that's one. So there's, there's a place where you come to the end of yourself, and my point there, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a good point. And really, that's all of your life. We think we're mostly in control, but then there's spots in life that pop up. Like, I am not in control. I thought I was in control, but I'm not in control. So now I'm looking to the one who is. Now, David at this point in Psalm 12 um, is just crying out to the Lord. Listen to the words he says, save, O Lord. He's crying out to Yahweh, God, I need you to save. Now, this is an interesting point because David's cry here is a, a desperate cry for help. Now, what has him in this condition, he's looking at the world. He's looking at the world and saying, it's horrible. And so I think a lot of this may resonate to you because you're looking at the world like, what is going on? There's chaos, there's confusion, there's depravity, there's, there's, this is not, this is what God, God did not intend for the world to look this way. And you can join David in his cry, God, I'm, I'm desperate for you. Why? Because he says, he says, the godly one is gone. I look at the world and I don't see God is what he's saying. I don't see God represented in man. So again, we're made in the image and likeness of God to reflect uh, God's integrity, his goodness, his purity, his righteousness. So when we say godly one, that's representing God. Don't think good. Think, man, we're not representing God. He doesn't see God being reflected in the people in the world. I mean, if that doesn't sound like what I see right now, uh, you're not paying attention. God is not being reflected in the world. And I hear so many times, like, has the world ever been this way? Well, clearly, yes. God's not being reflected in the world uh, during this time. He says, the faithful had vanished among the children of men. The faithful had vanished from the children of men. He, he, he's looking out. He sees no one being faithful, no one being steadfast. And what I like here. He's not like, oh, there's a few, there's one. He didn't say, I am. He says, I look, godly gone, the faithful vanished. Now, the way that I broke up uh, the sermon is in, in three parts. Man's words, man's words, uh, God's response or God's words, and then the new word that God gives us. So again, man's words, God's words, and then the new word that God, God gives us. So he's crying out in desperation. So let's look at, ver I'm going to read two through four, and we'll talk about it. It says, everyone utters lies to his neighbors. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? So man's words. Man's words reveal our heart. And so I want to pick up, he's crying out. He's like, there is no one godly. All the faithful advantage uh, vanished. And he's looking at really the, the plight of mankind uh, and the depravity of man. So just so you know, the things that you look in the world is like, this is a godless world. Do you know who we're reflecting that? Mankind is. We, we are. And it says, uh, furthermore, in verse 4, what the nature of godlessness is. It says, and those with their tongues will say, we will prevail. Listen, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? What, what's going on here? They're revealing with their words in their life. They're saying, who is master over us? They're taking the place of God. 
So in our godlessness, we try to be God. We try to be self-sovereign. It says in Psalm 14, uh, verse, verse 1, which we'll cover next week, it says, the fool says in, it says in, their, in his heart, there is no God. So really, man's word reveals our position that we want to be God. We take the position of God. And so, because uh, I think so many of us look at the world like, it's awful. And we like, but, but we're the good ones. That's not what David's saying here. He didn't say, I'm the good one. The rest is awful. He's saying, man, that there is no godly one. Why? Because we all like to think that we're in control. We all like to think that we are God. Um, we have a, a, a disposition that's deep rooted within us because of our sin nature that simply says, I'm going to do what I want. Now, that doesn't sound that bad. A lot of us are like, well, of course, I mean, I'm going to do what I want. That's wicked. I'm going to do what I want. Well, who, who made you? God did. Why do he make you? For him. So when you say, I'm going to do what I want, who, are you, who, do you, who do you think owns your life? God. And if you don't, you're not reflecting God and living for him, it's, it's a godless society. Another way that you could say this is we simply have a generous eye, a generous eye for self. Again, they're like, well, what's wrong with that? A lot. We don't have a generous eye for God and blessing others. We have a gener generous eye to take the place of God and, and, to, and, and to, to bless ourselves. Now, this is so subtle that a lot of us don't like to see ourselves this way. That, that we're like, I do what I want. I have a generous eye for self. Uh, you're like, isn't that, a, isn't that what it means to be American? No, listen to what it says in James 4, verses 13 through 17. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Did you just hear what he said? He's like, the person that runs his life, he's like, I'm going to go make a business profit here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. It's a generous eye for who? Self. How often do you look at your lives, this is what I'm doing, God. But you fail to even think, if the Lord wills, he's like, so, that boasting is such evil arrogance. What is your life? He's saying, consider your life. Another way that you can consider this truth is, do you operate your life as an owner or a steward? Do you believe you own your life? Like your time, your money, your kids, your house, your cars. Are you a steward of his stuff? It reveals your heart nature. See, a lot of us don't, don't just say like, you know what, rise up, I'm going to take the place of God. But, but our actions reveal that we, we think we're owners, that we're about ourselves. we're not stewards of God's stuff for his glory and other people's good. Now, if you don't feel get, uh, convicted by that at all, you're, you're not listening and you're not paying attention to your life. But secondly, what happens, it drills deeper into to help us understand uh, really our heart motives and how we operate by nature in our sin, godless lives that don't reflect God's glory and it doesn't uh, reflect the goodness of God to others. It says this in, in verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double, uh, a double heart they speak. 
Now, what's interesting, we, we take the place of God. We have this, this God disposition. I'm going to do what I want. I'm an owner of my own life. And your words will reveal this is true. It, it, it says that, that you use your words uh, to, to use these, like, flattering, flattering lips, and you utter lies to, to your neighbor. Now, what's interesting, these are not people that would say, uh, don't know God. They, intellectually, they would know God because David's asking for them to be cut off. So if they'd be cut off, they have some understanding of who, who God is. This is the idea that you say in one breath that, man, I love God, I know God, but then you live your life in the exact opposite way. In James 3, 9, it says it this way. It says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So we use our words like, oh, yes, God, we love you. We'll come and sing. We'll, we'll say, you know, spiritual things on our social media, but we curse our neighbor. We have a generous eye for self. It uses this word in, in verse uh, 3, flattering lips. We open our words. We, we open our mouths to use words to manipulate people. We'll say pleasing things to the ear. We'll, we'll, we'll speak them up. But the whole time, we're only thinking about what this means for us. How, how does this bless us? You don't actually mean the words that you're saying. And it's saying these words, what does it do? It reveals your heart. It reveals your heart. It says this in Matthew 12, verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's like, well, my words don't matter. No, they absolutely matter. Furthermore, in, in, in 12 verse 37, it says this about your words. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, only Jesus justifies. But what it's saying is it reveals your heart. Have you traced the words that come out of your mouth? Do you gossip? Do you slander? Do you tear down? Are you a flatterer? It reveals, it says here, that, you have a, that you're double-hearted. See, a lot of us, we don't, we don't like to think about ourselves this way, but it's really showing us our godliness apart from the Spirit of God and the work of Jesus Christ, that we're double-hearted. That means we have an outer man that we want people to see. We're very good at saying, this is what I am, this is the image that I'm saying, then we have an inner man that's all about ourselves. That you're not devoted to God, you're actually devoted to yourself, and we do things that may look God-honoring, but it's always self-serving. And it says that, that your words will, will, will either condemn you or justify you. It shows you your heart. Now, what it says here is everyone utters lies to his neighbor. So if you're like, what does everyone mean? Everyone. Everyone, that means me and you, Apart from the Spirit of God, the work of Jesus Christ utters lies to his neighbor. Everyone flatters. This is what we do. Now, if you think about this, that means everyone that you talk to, apart from the intervention of Christ and the Spirit of God, you guaranteed is manipulating you. And you'd be like, well, that's a great way to live. Right. Yeah, that, you should always be questioning their motives and yours. Now, I'm going to say something that's harsh. Apart from Christ and Christ-centered community, you don't really have friends. You have people who want to use you, and you have, you have people that you want to use. There is no friends. Now, you, have, you may have friendliness. That's different than friends. Everyone's looking to serve themselves and their selfishness. This is what David sees in the world. That's so interesting. The moral decay that he sees is a bunch of people that have generous eyes for self. This is man's words that reveal his heart. 
of godlessness. Now, man, David's like, cut him off. <laughs> That's where he's at. Uh, now look, look to God's response, uh, God's words. So that's man's words that reveal his heart. Look, look at God's words in verse 5 and 6. We'll look at it. It says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. This is God's word. So David says, man, here, here's what I want. I want you to cut them off. Their, their hearts are wicked. They're depraved. They're godless. And what, what, is, what does God say? He says, I mean, I care about the poor, and I care about the needy. Now, this is interesting. God, I don't know how to say that. He is, he is recklessly devoted to people. What he didn't say is, man, David, they are a bunch of wicked, godless people. Now, that, that's true. But he says, man, I care so deeply about people. He cares so deeply about you. See, a lot of us think he's so, so devoted. He's like, I mean, I care about the behavior. He's like, no, I care about the poor. I care about the needy. I care about the broken. I care about the desperate. And when we have a generous eye for self, you know what that does? It destroys everyone. He cares so deeply about our sin, but more importantly, how it affects you and the world that he created, the people that he's concerned about. He is so people-oriented. He says, I am going to, to arise and I'm going to do something for the poor, the people who are groaning, who long, the people who are desperate for him. See, God is people-oriented. For the sinner and the sufferer, he loves them. He is for them. He is desperate to meet them. Now, this is not new. This is uh, uh, confirmed all over Scripture. But Matthew 5, verse 2 through 6, talks about this attitude of the heart that God is so drawn toward. It says, and he opened up his mouth and he taught them, saying, this is Jesus speaking, blessed are who? The poor in spirit. The people that are spiritually bankrupt. They come to them themselves. I have nothing. They understand they're out of control, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the groanings of the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over about the, the sin in them, around them, the suffering that they see. Why? Because they will be comforted. It goes on to say, blessed are the meek. Meek is a great way to say the humble. They don't want to take the place of God, but said, I'm going to come under the position of God. Under, under God for the, what? They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It didn't say, blessed are the ones who are completely righteous and are nailing it. Those are the ones who are thirsty and want it and desire it, for they shall be satisfied. See, this is the attitudes of the heart that God draws near to. The people will say, God, I need your help. The sinner and the sufferer alike, the ones who cry out, God, I'm desperate for you. I need your help. I'm lost without you. God's grace runs downhill. He longs, he longs to save. It's not his hands too short. The question is, do you long to be saved? Are you desperate for the love of God? That's the question. He's desperate to save. We know that's true because it tells us in verse 6 about his words. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. See, what's so interesting, God's word, it says here, is pure. It's pure words. And it refines. It exposes. 
but it purifies seven times over. This is talking about the words of God. So we talked about the words of man. The words of man are what? Are they're perverse? They flatter. They utter utter lies. God's word is trustworthy and true. It's it's pure. God speaks and it's right and it's good. He is not. I'll just, Numbers twenty three nineteen says it this way: God is not man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should, should, uh, should that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he not spoken? Will he not fulfill it? The idea here is like God's not like anyone you've ever met. His character is trustworthy and true. He's not like you, and praise God for that. He's not like me. You know how many times I've let my kids down? Too many to count. And they like to let me know. It's like, hey, God, Dad, you said you were getting ice cream later. It's like, Dad's tired. Go to bed, right? There's so many times that I say things that I don't follow through. God's not like me. And praise God for that. He is faithful and he is true. He has pure words. It's, I read this in my scripture reading this morning. It says Psalm 119, 93 through 96. It says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have what given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie and wait to destroy me, but I consider what your testimonies. We rely on the promises and the character of God. See, the more and more I've looked at this verse, I don't think David's like, hey, come be like me. I don't think that's what David said. He's, he looks at the world and he's like, God, save. God, save. And I think he's saying, God, save me, save my people, save. Now listen to what it says in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 will be up on the screen. Isaiah, is, this is my favorite, one of my favorite chapters in the entire scripture. Isaiah is a prophet in Israel at the time. He's going to the temple. So let's say he's going to church. And you, you know, you come to church today, like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm sure he was going to the temple, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a prophet. God has to be pleased with me, speaking on behalf of him. Listen to what happens as he experienced the holiness and the pureness of God. It says, in the year that the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he's seeing God, and one called to another and said, uh, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So Isaiah saw God, and it says, and he said, As woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The one of the Sephirim flew to me, and having his hand, a burning coal that he had taken with his tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, behold, he has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. See, what happens is when you see God and you see him rightly, the pure words of God, you see who he is and who you're not. See, Isaiah wasn't like, there are people of unclean lips. He goes, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of double heartedness. And my people are too. And I need to be pardoned. I need to be forgiven. See, what's so interesting, what's so interesting about God, he doesn't tell you what you want to hear. What does he tell you? He tells you what you need to hear. See, you want to know who you can trust? Someone will look at you and say, hey, it's not good, but I love you. That's someone you can trust. If you, if you have someone that only tells you good things, guaranteed flattery. See, God's, God's word is it's sometimes hard to hear, but listen, he tells you, why? Because he wants to comfort you. God's word is hard because he wants to produce a soft heart in you. I want us to read maybe uh, Psalm 12, 1 a little bit differently. It says, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. 
Save our Lord for the godly one is gone. So what, what that's saying is, God, save us. Why? Because we can't save ourselves. So what is he pleading here? God, I need you, not to save me a little bit, but I need you to do all of it. Why? Because there is no godly one. So who are we looking for? The godly one to come. We need a godly one to come. And this is what it says in John 1, verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory from the only son, from the father, full of grace and truth. See, the good news is there is no godly one. But God came and he is the godly one. And he lived and he died and he rose again. And he wants to be a friend of you, a sinner and a sufferer. That's how you can come to God. See, so, I was just struck by this morning. It's like, I still think God loves me sometimes because like, ah, I'm trying to be good. No, 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 no. God loves me. Why? Because he's a friend of sinners. And I am a sinner. This is what it says in John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life for you. That he is trustworthy. That he is a friend of you in all your wretchedness, all your suffering, and all, all your waywardness, and all your godliness. This is not about you. It's that God save, and Jesus does. Have you come to the end of yourself and cried out for God to save? See, it's hard news to understand that you don't really have a true friend. But the good news is Jesus is that true friend. That he knows you inside and out, all of it, and he gave his life for you. Man, I was praising God for that because no one truly knows you. No one truly knows me. The only one that kind of knows me the most is my wife and from there the elders. But, you know, I still... Shady, and so are you. Jesus knows you, and he gave his life for you, and he's not ashamed of you, and he's your friend, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, when you understand that, see what happens here, David's like, cut them off, and Jesus' is like, I'm gonna be cut off for them so I, I can bring them to me. Then God gives us a new word. So when you feel out of control, you can look to Christ and say, man, he has died for me. He is my friend. He is trustworthy. He's never going to let me down. Listen to what it says in verse 7. You, O Lord, will keep them, and you will guard us from this generation forever. You don't have to worry about the battle out there. He has won the battle for your heart, and he says, I will keep you. The one who saves you is going to keep you. When this happens, this gives you a new heart and a new word. Instead of saying, cut them off, God, you know what will happen because you know you deserve to be cut off. He'll give you a new affection for God. He'll give you a new affection for others, even the wicked. It says in Matthew, it says that, that you've heard it said, uh, love, you know, basically love your neighbors and hate your enemies. I'm going to tell you to love your enemies and pray for them. When you understand that you're an enemy of God and Jesus died for you, you, you know you, what happens, you love your enemy. It says this in James 2, verses 12 through 13. So speak and so act as though who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Be judged under the judgment of Christ, that you are forgiven. Therefore, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has no mercy. Listen, mercy tri triumphs over judgment. We should be a merciful people. So as it starts in the text, like there is no godly people in Christ. He gives you a new heart and a new affection to represent who God is, who is merciful, who is a friend, who is full of grace. He's not looking for us to judge. He's looking at us to come under the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and be gracious to other people and long for people to know him. 
See, this is the pure words that will purify your heart seven times over. What I love about this is not like, come to Jesus and you're good. No, you keep coming to Christ. And he exposes these inconsistencies, these impurities. And the Spirit of God refines you with the heart of Christ. And as he shares the heart of Christ, he gives you a new word for the world around us. That he, he will protect us and we should engage them with mercy. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us have pure words. That we respond as David does here, save, O oh Lord. And your response is that you come near to the one who groan and who longs. God, I pray the Spirit of God would produce these hard words in us that produces this soft heart, that we would groan and long for more of Jesus. That we'd see more rightly how you're the only one that can save that you're the only one that's control of our lives, that you're the only one that's a friend. And as we understand your friendship, we can be a friend of others. God, help us. Help us cry out. Hosanna, God save. We thank you that you hear our cry and you arise and you meet us with your son. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen.